You're listening to iFanboys Talksplode, featuring conversations with J.H. Williams III and W. Hayden Blackman of Batwoman and Mitch Garrods of The Activity. In the first part of our show today, Paul Montgomery is talking to Batwoman creators J.H. Williams III and W. Hayden Blackman about their new take on the number one issue that just came out and uh, how Batwoman will be going forward. I'm talking to J.H. Williams III and W. Hayden Blackman, the creative team behind the new Batwoman ongoing. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi. So it's been a while since we've seen... Uh, Batwoman in action. I mean, well, there was there was that issue zero, which which was great and a, and a wonderful character study. But it's been a long time, relatively, since that Detective Comics run that we all really enjoyed. It, how does it feel to finally have the issue one out there so that people can read and talk about it? Because I'm sure it's been with you guys for a while. Oh, it's it's pretty exhilarating. Um, uh, at the same time, it was you know, for I kept feeling trepidation over it because I knew we were following you know something that was very well received prior and following uh, Greg Rucka, a friend of mine who, you know, I wanted to make sure that, um, that we're, we're doing our best to be worthy of what uh, had came before. So the, some of the delays that we faced were, were a bit um, uh, not frustrating, but kind of like, you know, just difficult to deal with in, in terms of emotionality. So it's pretty exhilarating to finally have it out there and, and people seem to, Seem to be liking it, so yeah. And for me, I mean, I'd, I'm really excited about some of the stuff that happens in issue two, three, four, or five. And so, being able to have the first issue out there and get the ball rolling um, has been huge. And and you know, I, I will say that I've, I've been a little frustrated that you know it has uh, taken so long to get it out there. But now that it's out there, um, you know, hopefully we can just see the roller coaster ride start. Okay. Now we we presume that um, some of this this issue started at least or scripting or the process of of making it started before you knew that this would be part of the the reboot and the relaunch. Um, uh, is is that true? Is I mean, is there any how much um, uh, additional uh, changes had to be made uh, once you learned that this was going to be a new continuity, a new status quo? Yeah, the the basics of this started you know quite a while ago. Um, Back when Detective was happening, um, and then Greg was deciding to to leave uh, DC. But at the time, I really didn't know what was going to be happening, what Greg's decision was going to be. And Hayden and I had turned in a pitch for a, a miniseries concept, um, and that actually had got gotten approved. But then, when Greg um, decided to leave, um, it was a matter of you know DC then. Uh, offering the to take over the idea of Batwoman to me, and I definitely wanted to bring Hayden in on that, um, uh, particularly since DC, you know, the people we were dealing with seemed to be pretty uh, uh, jazzed about the um, the miniseries concept we had pitched. So it just seemed like a no-brainer for us to work together. So, um, so yeah, even though it's been a long time, I think you know what's funny about it uh, for people is that. Um, because there was this period where we're of uncertainty of what Greg was going to do. Um, and then when DC had us take over, uh, there actually hadn't been anything written yet other than this, this you know, miniseries concept. 
Um, so no, nothing was written. And, um, uh, and, but then DC, when they made the decision to bring us on and we agreed, they literally within, you know, less than 48 hours were, uh, announcing that, uh, to the world. And so a lot of people were under the impression that, you know, work had actually had already commenced. And, um, so that's one of the biggest reasons why it's been a while, because actually at the, that, the time the announcement came, not, not, not one word had been written yet on the series. So, <laughs> but in, in terms of once we did find out we were going to be part of the, the new 52, in terms of making changes, um, you know, we didn't have to do too much really. And, and part of that I think was that we were so focused on kind of Kate and her world and, and, um, you know, building up her supporting cast and her rogue gallery that we weren't tying in, you know, or touching a, a lot of other things that might change because of the new 52. Um, and so, you know, we've really been allowed to, to kind of just continue with the, the storyline that we had originally proposed. I think we had to swap out one character for another in issue two, and, and Jim had to do a few art changes in, in issue two with a, a couple characters, but in general, it's been really, really smooth, and, and, and you're right to say that we didn't know, you know, when we first started writing, I think we'd written four or five issues by the time we knew we were going to be part of the, the new 52, and, and had actually had three arcs approved, so, you know, we have outlines for three arcs uh, that we're moving ahead with. Yeah, and it's kind of like, kind of one of those things where, you know, um, I think what what kind of enhanced it for us was made it easy for us was the fact that in a lot of ways we were so far ahead of uh, of the reboot plans in terms of where we were going story wise that DC just felt it was probably prudent to just roll in you know whatever we were doing as part of the part of the new DCU picture so um, can you tell me a little bit about uh, your process obviously it's you know, we have the same artist, uh, the, the artist uh, taking on uh, a bit of a, a larger role in the, in the storytelling, um, cr- uh, credited as, as, as co-writer, um, but also we have a new writer, writer on board. And so is, is it the same, uh, J.H., as, as working with, with Greg, the same process? Um, or it, are you doing anything different? Um, and, you know, what, what's, the, what's the, uh, the back and forth like between the two of you? Well, the, the process that we, Hayden and I have, it's quite different than what it was with Greg. I mean, Greg was very much the writer uh, on on the project. The only things that we, Greg and I, kind of did before he would write scripts is, you know, he already knew the basics of the story he wanted to tell. Um, but there were some scenes, quite a few scenes, or the, the pacing progression of an issue that um, he wanted my visual take on, on how some of these scenes could work and move. And so that's where my influence came in and impacted his scripts. Um, where with Hayden and I, it's very much, you know, he and I writing the, the whole thing from scratch together. Um, and uh, and the, the interesting thing for me is, you know, even though I had prior conversations with Greg before he wrote scripts, in a lot of ways I still had to, you know, adjust my, my visual presentation of that after the fact, where now I kind of have to think about that stuff, you know, ahead of time and, and, and try to get as much of that kind of information into the scripts, um, pretty much because I can't help but think visually. So when I uh, try to put a scene into words, it's going to be visually descriptive. Um, and I'll let you take over, Hayden. Yeah, in, in, in terms of the process, I mean, my, 
pretty much everything I've done in the past. I mean, I've written, I don't know, almost 100 comics, I think, for mostly for Dark Horse and a lot of Star Wars stuff. Um, and it's been very, you know, the traditional model of, you know, I write the script, I deliver it. Um, you know, sometimes I see the pages back, sometimes I go back and forth with the artist um, if they've got a question. But in general, it's it's more of what, you know, Jim was describing with Greg. This process is incredibly organic between Jim and I where, you know, we get on the phone, um, you know, we brainstorm uh, kind of big set pieces and ideas. Um, we talk about what we're both gravitating towards. Um, and then we kind of take, we break and we, we each take um, pieces and, and end up, when it comes to the scripting, end up writing um, individual scenes and then we kind of hand them back and forth and give each other feedback and um, then get on the phone to go through a, you know, kind of, full draft where we, we talk about every scene, every piece of dialogue, and really hammer on the things that are bothering one or the other of us. Um, the other thing that I think that we do that's really helpful is early on um, we do a, a really detailed outline. So like the outline for arc one for us is I think it's at least 15 pages long. I mean, it's, it's super detailed so that we're both really on the same page about you know where the, the story's going, and then we usually do a kind of scene-by-scene -scene breakdown to make sure we have enough pages and whatnot. Um, but it's a, a ton of back and forth. And um, for me, that's really gratifying because, again, Jim, you know, we were both coming at it from different points of view, from different backgrounds. Jim thinks, you know, very visually. Um, I, you know, I, I kind of think about what I'm hearing the character say in my head. Um, and I think that uh, uh, kind of together we complement each other really well and are able to um, kind of shore each other up um, if there's any kind of deficiency and make anything that is bugging one of us better than, you know, either one of us could have done on their own. Okay. Um, a lot of key relationships have changed for, for Kate um, since the, her first appearance, at, le at least in Detective Comics. Um, what, uh, can you talk a little bit about her arc and, and the relationship she has in, in her life with, with her cousin, with, with her father, um, and this, this new love interest in her life? Well, it, it, I think the, I think Hayden and I both are kind of in agreement that the personal relationship stuff that we developed is almost more exciting for us to write than you know the villain of the week sort of parts of the story. Even though that we're putting our heart and soul into that too, um, but something about writing realistic relationships um, is just really gratifying when you can find that rhythm and that voice for it. Um, so, you know, as far as changes to any of that stuff, I mean, a lot of it is carryover from what happened prior, you know, um, the the dark secrets that she found out about uh, her twin sister and her father's, you know, knowing of, possibly knowing what actually happened there and lying to her her whole life about whether her sister had actually died or not. Is I mean that's heavy, heavy stuff, and that's going to you know cause huge, huge impact as the series moves along, um, because it's it's something you just can't quickly move move from that you know. Um, uh, so that's going to be really interesting and fun for us to explore, and um, and what we like about uh, interjecting Bet into this is uh, you know she didn't really have much of a of a role in the prior stuff. So getting her in here is really pretty cool because she's got this lighter voice compared to Kate. Um, she's less morose. Uh, and so I, I think that's really cool and, and brings out um, some different aspects to the character in Kate Kane uh, 
Um, and then getting to explore Kate moving forward in her life uh, in terms of her personal relationships uh, to find love in her life, uh, I think is pretty dynamic because I think a lot of people are really married to the idea of her pining after Renee Montoya, but I mean, that relationship kind of has really dissolved into pretty much nothing. And anybody realistically in real life, you know, they're going to they're gonna cash in their chips and, and try to find, you know, love somewhere else and move forward in their life. And uh, so that's, what, that's a big change. Um, you want to take over, Hayden? Yeah, I mean, uh, just for us, it was really important to have the personal relationships are the most relatable things, right? I mean, we can't, not all of us can relate to swinging across rooftops and, and, you know, fighting, you know, spectral villains and whatnot, but, you know, most of us can relate to having, you know, an argument or falling out with, with a, a relative, um, or it can at least imagine what that would feel like. Most of us, you know, have been in love or have had a crush or pined after somebody or have, have pursued somebody. And so I think those types of things for us are, are just as meaningful as the, the, the villain stuff. Um, and the, but I think the trick is finding a way for everything to be interconnected and for the different aspects of, of Kate's life to test her in the other aspects of her life. So her relationship with her father plays a, a really big role in some of the decisions that she's going to make in, in Arc 1. Um, you know, we, we see it in the way that she treats, you know, Ben all the way to some of the decisions she makes at the end of, of Arc 1. I think, you know, her, her relationship with Maggie Sawyer, who's a detective in the Gotham PD, um, is going to, I think, evolve in really interesting ways because she has a personal relationship, but then she's also that woman, right? And and both of them are, as we see in issue one, are investigating the same crime. So how does that, you know, um, play out is, for us is something really interesting. Even the weeping woman is going to test a lot of her um, kind of her feelings about, um, you know, her prior relationships, I think, in really interesting ways. So. So for us, it was just really important to make it all organic and all connected, not siloed. Like, there's Kate Kane's life, and then there's that woman's life. That's, that's impossible. It's all interconnected. Okay. Um, feel free to, to pass on this one, but uh, I have to ask. Um, so we saw, we saw Renee Montoya's portrait up on the wall, um, uh, presumably uh, a death wall or a missing in action wall. Um, can, we, can we say definitively? Um, yeah. I, actually, that was probably bit of a an art error on my point. In, in the script, that we described that wall as being um, uh, a wall of, a com- of commendations oh, okay. awards, um, and people who've prior, you know, pr- had prior service in the Gotham PD. Um, so, yeah, it's an old photo, but, it, you know, the way the scene ended up being constructed, it didn't really have any place to kind of call that out on a plaque or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so it has caused a little bit of confusion for some people, but the overall point of it, I think, is getting across that you know Kate has to move move forward and move on from her past. Okay, so we so we can't say definitively what happened to her yet, or no, and that's fine. I mean, that's honestly, fine. we don't know. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, how about let, let's let's talk about uh, Chase. Um, then we're going to get a great deluxe edition of Chase, uh, collected edition coming out by the end of the year. Um, but, uh, she pops up in, uh, and, and, and as long as, uh, as well as other members in the building, uh, the lipstick building of the Department of Extra Normal Operations, uh, with Director Bones. Um, tell me about, um, adding her to the ensemble. Yeah, for, for me, it was like, 
a little bit unfinished business, but really it was more about just um, finding a, a, a different piece to add into the layers that we were building to, I mean, because essentially, you know, what we had, if you take the, the DEO stuff out of it, is you have, you know, Kate Kane's life and how it's impacting Batwoman and how Batwoman's life is impacting Kate. But it needed another another layer, an outside twist that actually wasn't directly connected to either of those pieces um, that would, you know, kind of like the, the chaos card essentially being played. Um, and the other part that's cool for me is, you know, having Chase be in here is um, we get to see how Chase is now. I mean, uh, the way she is in, in her original series is going to be quite different than her portrayal here in terms of how she's in, evolved and how much she's embraced the, the DEO dogma um, and is very business-like now uh, in terms of her, her job. Um, I think it's going to be some fun stuff to play with, and it leads to some very interesting um, situations as the series progresses that extend beyond the first arc. And without giving too much away in terms of spoilers, um, any hints as to what you have in store for Kate and Batwoman and the whole ensemble uh, in the series ahead? Um, without giving away too much, I think uh, you can expect some some really heavy-duty um, uh, exploration in terms of what makes Kate Kane tick, um, her, how she is going to react to different people in her life, um, and some of her choices that she's making stem all the way back to, you know, um, survival guilt and childhood trauma from the supposed death of her sister, um, only to find out that she wasn't dead and that uh, when she came, came back, she feels like she thinks that she's killed her again. So that's some pretty messed up stuff. Um, and how that impacts everything she does is pretty powerful. Um, and so... You know, that connected with, you know, the things that the weeping woman is about and the powers that she has over emotions um, plays a huge role. And uh, and the weeping woman stuff will also be a catalyst for the bigger picture of the next uh, next two arcs as well. Um, Some of the pieces that people have seen in this first issue really are just the germination of something much grander. You want to add, Hayden? Yeah, I mean, we... We've talked a lot about, um, you know, Jim and I, about there being no status quo um, with that woman. I mean, uh, we never want it to feel like something can happen in an issue and then the next issue everything just resets and goes back to normal. Um, so we're constantly trying to challenge ourselves with that and, and say, God, do we dare to do this? <laughs> do we dare to make this decision and, and, and really change Kate's life in this, this huge dramatic way? Um, in a way that's kind of irreversible, and I think Arc One does that. Um, there's a couple things that that happen in Arc One that you know there's kind of no coming back from, and and change you know Kate, some of Kate's key relationships and and you know Batwoman's role a little bit. So I'm really excited about that in Arc One, and then Arc Two just continues to build on that. Um, and you know the decisions that that Kate makes, especially towards the end of Arc One, roll directly into Arc Two. Um, so I think that, that and to me that's that's very exciting to see how that kind of also evolves. All right, and unfortunately, that's our time, but I want to thank you so much for your time and uh, keep it up on the great book. We're all loving it. Uh, Thanks. Glad you like it. Take care. Next up, we've got Josh Lanigan from MyFanboy.com. 
that, that's me, talking to Mitch Gerrids, uh, well known as a colorist on Starborn from Boom, but also the artist of an upcoming series written by Nathan Edmondson called The Activity, which will be coming out from Image Comics. Hey, I'm here with Mitch Gerrids. How are you doing today, Mitch? I'm doing great. How are you, Josh? I'm very good. Um, we are here to talk to you because you have you have some activity coming along. I do. Uh, but we'll we'll, we'll, uh, well, actually, let's let's actually. Now, this is a project that you're soliciting with uh, Nathan Edmondson, um, yep. and it'll be out in, I assume, December. December 21st is what they're telling us. The the, the Christmas rush. Yes. Uh, now I know the details are mum. Uh, but it was the project formerly known as Project Omaha, and what yes. what can you tell me? Well, I'll, first I'll start with the Project Omaha thing because there's been a lot of there's been some good internet buzz on the name, but uh, Which you're not we call the project yeah exactly we call it Project Omaha basically for no other reason than I've been working on this thing for like a year, and if I didn't get to talk about it online, I would go insane. So we just came up with a cool project name that I could throw on a hashtag and be like, still working on Project Omaha. <laughs> it sounds like it was really fun in that way. <laughs> <laughs> it had its days. But, uh, uh, well, I guess to the extent that you can tell me what it is, since we are trying to promote it, yes, what is it? Uh, uh, it's called The Activity, is the official name, and it's based off an actual organization uh, a military organization called the Intelligence Support Activity. You know, we shortened it. But uh, it's an organization within the government, within the military, that they actually change their name every two years. So, like, oversight committees and stuff can't really get a handle on it, can't shut it down, can't, uh, you know, certain politicians can't use it as a platform, etc. And so they change their name every two years. But it's they're the the people that support all the other special forces units within the military. Um, they 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 have three sections: uh, human intelligence, uh, signals intelligence, and direct action. And our book focuses on a team of five that deals with the direct action mm-hmm. part of this, the the nitty gritty of it all. So, uh, an unknown, very elite government group of folks who are out doing things yeah and it's it's very uh you know it doesn't take place in space much to my chagrin but uh, it uh it's very real world uh a lot of the stuff is based on either actual events or kind of mishmash of events uh nathan has done an incredible amount of uh research and he's got contacts we're in contact with the actual military we've talked to them we've been talking to weapons developers uh, it's all pretty insane, and Nathan has been going above and beyond to make one really cool book. Wow! So, and it, so, the, it, what, what I'm hearing, if this is correct, that is that it's not a supernatural book. No, not at all. Wow! Sorry, it's always <laughs> just whenever like it's military, but it's crossed with ninja. And- yeah, exactly. Like that. That's that's. I think we have a good angle on the what people are kind of in the mood for. Uh, you know, the Call of Duty players. Mm-hmm. The People who love shows like The Unit or Strike Back, it's all very real world, takes place now, Uh, some bleeding edge tech that is all somewhat based on stuff that exists, maybe we took it a little bit farther, but 
nope, there's no uh, crossover with space or uh, dead witches or Hellboy or anything like that. But they could end up in space eventually. I hope they do. <laughs> so what's the what's the parameters? Are we looking at a miniseries? Hey, or? James Bond ended up in space, so that worked out. We, we ignore Moonraker. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, it's 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 an ongoing series, uh, which is terrifying and exciting all at the same time. Uh, a lot of people have been thinking it's a four issue mini. It is not. It is uh, Nathan's got twenty some issues planned right now. If they go well, there will be more. That's uh, that's that's quite a commitment. <laughs> yeah. And and you've been working on it for a while, so because I, I know I that you've got other stuff happening, so are you know are you ahead some? Or are you? Yes, I, I've been. I've had a few other projects in between, so it's not like I've been steadily for the whole year. But uh, I am currently about halfway through issue three, and we hope to have. I'll have it five issues done by the time that first one comes out in December, and then uh, issue six. We have an awesome guest artist who I probably can't talk about now, but so then we'll have we'll have six issues in the can even before that first issue comes out. So it was super important to me as a somewhat beginning artist that I don't become the guy who's known as late. So I wanted to be as far ahead of the game as I could. And Nathan has other books going on, so he was able to, you know, not... He could let me do that for a long time. Well, and this actually... So uh, how'd you hook up with Nathan? Because before, not too long ago, no one really knew who he was. Exactly, uh, and and it seems like you got you got uh, hooked up to that just in time. Yeah, I got a random call one day. Uh, it was from this guy named Nathan Edmondson, and he was in an airport, and he had just come up with this idea like on the fly, and he just googled like freelance artists or something like that, and my work on comictort.com came up, and he probably saw I was the only one not working at Marvel at the moment. So he gave me a call and he asked me, like, are you kind of interested in this stuff? And, you know, I, I played it cool, but inside I was doing jumping jacks and touchdown passes. And, but uh, I love this stuff. Like, I, I absolutely, my favorite authors, um, Vince Flynn, Brad Thor, a little bit of Clancy, like, I love the whole military thriller thing. So I was totally on board. And we just kind of clicked from the beginning. Uh, I would start doing some samples, and he was like, "Well, you're, you know, you're better than I thought." And I was like, "Well, that's awesome." <laughs> <laughs> the strange world of independent comics. It's just yeah, crazy. you do this. There's no money anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Just do it. Uh, <laughs> but was this before uh, Jake Ellis came out, or this was before Jake Ellis came out? And one of the reasons, because I'd gotten calls like this before from some other people, and I was always like, ah, <laughs> "It sounds great." <laughs> But uh, he he pitched it to me. He's like, oh, that's cool. But I'm like, I've never really heard of this guy. Like, who knows what's going to happen? And then I saw an image from Who is Jake Ellis? And it was an image that uh, Tanchi Zanjik, I'm sure I'm getting that wrong. It was a good, I thought it was a good. Yeah. <laughs> Had posted this image a while ago, and I was a huge fan of him. And so I connected the two. I was like, oh, he's working with Nathan. And then I found out like there's some Tommy Lee Edwards stuff going on, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm, I can trust this guy. I'm in on this." You're down. All right, yeah. that's cool. So, uh, and that that was a while ago, and apparently it's all it's all coming up uh, coming up roses now. Yeah, it's all been fantastic. Um, we've got some you know TV and movie interest already. It's, it's been way over my head. It's been great. 
Um, now, so let's get let's get back to the beginning a little bit. I guess you mentioned Comic Twart, and I think that's where I first came across your work, um, uh, which has been sort of a I guess a boon for a bunch of artists uh, to the extent that now everyone's working and yep. no one does it anymore. But um, <laughs> I guess yeah. uh, how did you get hooked up uh, with with uh, with sort of those guys doing that blog, and 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 where were you before that? The ComicTort.com is hands down the absolute best thing that ever happened to my career. There is, a, you know, accounting comic tort, if no one's figured it out at this point, because Declan Shelby came up with the name, you know, because he's Irish and they come up with weird names like that. But uh, it, it's comic art, so Twitter art tort. And, uh, yeah, and... So, hold on, I'm messing up my thoughts here. So, yeah, one day we were all on Twitter, and at that time I wasn't really connected to a lot of people. I had my friends, et cetera, but, you know, you, you follow all the people you love on Twitter, and someone threw out an idea, like, oh, let's all draw, I think it was Thor at the time. And so I, everyone was posting these great Thors, uh, Somni and Shelby and Tom Fowler and Mike Hawthorne. And I was on my way out the door, but I was like, I can't miss this. So I drew this really quick, horrible Thor drawing. And for some reason, I made it into that little group. And then they all started following me. And then we all started to evolve. And we did, uh, I think next we did a Ronin, uh, you know, the Clint Barton character. And then it officially became Tort when we started Zorro. And it's been phenomenal ever since i mean those guys like all kind of my friends now i've met almost all of them it's been uh yeah best thing that's ever happened to me that's actually really cool so uh where i know that you you do illustration and, and stuff like that is that was that what you were working on or um you know, yeah what, what were you doing before you you started you know with hanging out with those guys and getting mixed up in this comics nonsense i had been drawing uh or illustrating cereal boxes uh like for general mills uh tricks lucky charms uh cookie crisp you have a bigger audience than everybody already exactly i have hundreds of thousands of people that have seen my work (laughs) there's actually like a two-year period there where every kid's cereal general mills put out was like one of my concepts and i was over the moon about that yeah but uh yeah i was doing that and then the company i worked for at the time uh, kind of had some hard troubles with the economy and laid off like half the staff, including me. And I was like, well, I could either look for another design job because technically it was a graphic design job, or I could give this whole comic sh- thing a shot, which I'd wanted to do forever. And uh, me and a friend from high school, Scott Dillon, put together a comic called Johnny Recon. Uh, it was kind of a retro sci-fi uh, you know, ray guns and everything in space. And we did that. We brought it to a Wizard World Chicago at the time. And uh, the Brightweisers were there and Mitch and Betty Brightweiser. And they kind of took me under their wing a little bit. I'd known them for a couple years before that from shows. but And uh, lots of great things kept happening out of that book, much to my, still to my fascination this day, because... I can't even look at some of those books that I did back then, but but uh, yeah, everything just took off from there, and I started getting you know little gigs here and there, and eventually I got some bigger ones, and here I am, and it's working out, dream fulfilled. 
Dream fulfilled. It's done. Yeah, it's done. We're making comics. All right. Well, thanks very much. No. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, one of the other things that I that I know you from is uh, you're doing the colors on on uh, Starborn for Boom. Yes. Yep. So I mean, you got a little of everything going on. Yeah, I I had started out you know illustrating, but then I kind of got. I had always been. I think one of the things most people recognize me from my work was kind of my love of color. I'm very. I don't do well trying to keep things in like that monotone gray, grayish, you know, earth tones. I'm pretty, I'm pretty loud with my colors, and I think some people it resonated with some people. And Boom had a great new Stan Lee book with space and aliens and ray guns, and I was like, yeah, I'll color the, I'll color the hell out of that. <laughs> so how did that get hooked up? Did you just get, sort of get a random call one day, or you were, are you working your your networks? Because it, it really feels, and I and I'm, I mean this from a point of view of, there's a lot of people who a wonder sort of how comics works behind the scenes, but also you know there's a billion people who want to break in and stuff, and I'm just curious. Because if, like you say, you went from a, a part where you're just a guy following a bunch of people on Twitter, you'd started the book yep. off, and then you know, then you've got a bunch of sort of little jobs in all these different places. So, you know, how did the boom thing come about? It, it really springs from just kind of like what I said before on Twitter. Like I, I can't praise Twitter enough. Uh, it's just a matter of I stopped just listening to these people and I started talking to them and interacting with them and. I wasn't pushy or anything, but eventually they'd be like, hey, you know, I'll, I'll look at some artwork and I'd send them some artwork or whatnot. And again, I'm uh, Bryce Carlson, my editor over at Boom, I believe, saw my stuff on Comic Tort. And he's like, we have an opening. And he gave me, you know, he pitched me the idea and I did some samples and Stan liked them, I guess, which <laughs> melted my brain when I heard that he actually had to approve it. And uh, yeah, we were off to the races. Very cool. Now, you know, what's interesting about your colors is that uh, I don't know the terminology, so you, you have to forgive me if, if I... Massive amounts of lens players. Well, I, I just think that, <laughs> like, you tend to use... Uh, you, you said you were loud with it, and I think that's sort of, case, sort of the case where it's like tasteful loudness. Uh, there's, I, I, I don't know if it's not, you know, like a lot of people go to color and they, they use filters and all sorts of crap that they can't do, but your coloring, uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm thinking of Starborn and like, you'll lay across like those dot pitches on stuff and, and, and you'll have effects and things, but it, it's, it's done, uh, really, uh, well, which is surprising in that sense. just, there's just a lot of bad colorists, I guess is what I'm sort of getting at. Like, how would you... Like, how has it changed, and how do you approach coloring? Is it, is it uh, you know, did you, you know, did you study color theory and, and know how to use all that stuff, or are you improving yeah, as you go? I definitely had, you know, a lot of color theory classes and stuff uh, going through my graphic design background. That's what I went to college for and everything. But uh, mostly it's just, I kinda, yeah, it's a love of comics, how, maybe not even how they used to be or how they are, just kind of how they're romanticized in my head, uh, big big bold bright color and i'm a huge fan of light like the when jj abrams came on the scene with all his lens flares over everything like blew my mind like not even just using lens flares but just how light how a lot of colorists in the industry right now don't overlay light uh to me light is a thing that affects everything even over your line work and so i i really took that on and just playing with 
things get bright sometimes. If you're shooting a ray gun, there's going to be brightness. Mm -hmm. I wanted to figure out how to do that in a book. Uh, one of the hardest parts was figuring out if my style was even printable because you can't really always print some of this stuff. But uh, luckily, I had some friends from Twart, and I had Betty Brightweiser and Nathan Fairbairn to school me in the ways of printing. And uh, yeah, that's kind of my philosophy is just keep everything uh, exciting. And in that way, I think it's kind of interesting because colorists don't seem to get nearly as excited about coloring as you seem to. <laughs> I mean, you're real, you're into your colors, and and I think that's good because a lot of fans and a lot of readers need to know more about. Well, they don't need to, but it, it's it's like it makes it more interesting. It makes the comics more satisfying to sort of know what's behind them and to know that the colors don't just happen or the letters just don't happen or things like that. So, I mean, to, to you, it's just it's another piece of the art. It's not just you know sort of. Yeah, I mean, it. There's if you're on Twitter or whatnot, you follow some colors, you'll see that. Colors get kind of a bad rap. They don't get the uh, the recognition I think that they all deserve because a bad colorist can ruin the best art. Yes, and uh, it's it's coloring is just as I think important if you're doing a color book as all the other parts. Uh, you're you're definitely in charge of you're in charge of keeping it good, just as the penciler is in charge of keeping it good at that point. And usually the colorist is the the last line of defense to make a good-looking book. So it is. It is one of those things where I, I see a lot of indie books, a lot of you know people just sort of putting their heart on their sleeve and making a book, and that that, that last layer of that color on there a lot of times will kill a book that was other, yes. that would have otherwise had a chance. So uh, I'm saying I respect the art, I suppose. <laughs> Do we know? Oh, so but from that, then you're also. Um, you know, you're, you're penciling and, and inking and, and doing all sorts of stuff all day. Like, like, do you, uh, are they sort of different mindsets to be in? Yeah. I'm uh, luckily, and you know, I, there's, there's been times where I've cursed myself for being the guy who wants to pencil and can color everything. But, uh, it's, I, a penciling to me is the most laborious part of the project. It's, uh, it's definitely fun. I mean, that's where it all starts. And But then the nice thing is inking, you kind of, not totally, but you kind of get to shut off your brain. You can throw on a movie or something and just kind of do your thing. And coloring is the same way. But penciling, you've kind of got to tune things out and really focus. Is you, you consider that the same step as laying out or is that a separate thing? Because I know for some people to do the thumbs and do the layouts and everything and then the pencils will come after that. Yeah, I'll definitely do layouts for a book. That that's a whole other thing that involves me having to leave my apartment because oh, really, I, I I work totally from home. Uh, I have a great studio, but I am so easily distracted. And layouts are the one thing I can't do when I have anything else going on. So I generally go to a local coffee shop or something and do all my layouts because if I have a TV in front of me, I will watch it. <laughs> Even, I, listen, yeah. I, I understand having a lack of self-control. <laughs> I, I completely do. Um, so uh, I guess at the, so at the same time, you're gonna, are you going to continue doing uh, the monthly book? Uh, are, the, are you going to continue doing the activity while you're still doing other coloring projects and things like that? And, and uh, like how, how's that work from a time management standpoint? Have you got to adjust? Yeah, I, there's definitely been some adjustment uh, in the last few months. Uh, Starborn... 
uh, is only 12 issues, so there's only a couple left. I, in fact, I think I only have one left to color. But really? uh, I didn't yeah, know that. All, all the Stan Lee books, like I, I, I feel I can announce this because it's been in all the solicitations. But uh, yeah, all the Stan Lee books are capping out at 12. Oh, yeah. Well, I have to go. No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm it's sorry. okay. It's that's you know what? I actually I like an ending. Yeah, no, exactly. And Chris, Chris is killing it. Mm-hmm. Chris has an ending. It's great. Uh, Chris Roberson. But uh, yeah, I, and then I, you know, I did the Doctor Who thing a little bit ago, and that was amazing because I'm a huge Whovian. And getting to work with one of my great friends, uh, Matthew Dow Smith, who I still think, as long as he's working on Doctor Who, should just shave off his name to Matt Smith because can you imagine the amount of fans that would show up at his table yeah he could fool the hell out of them till they uh, I know <laughs> <laughs> what's now now that's that's another that was a, a short I guess in the in the annual um what's it like to work on something because I, I know you're a big Doctor Who fan so what's it like to work on something that you're such a big fan of and then take take your spin on it uh does, does it make it harder or easier it was great. I mean, the the hardest part of something like that is it's not like Batman or something, which I would love to do, where you you're dealing with the likeness of another likeness. Whereas you're doing Doctor Who, you're dealing with actual real people. The people are locked in what they look like, and so you kind of gotta kind of gotta aim for that. So that part was stressful, but just working with the Doctor and uh, Matt's story for it was phenomenal and just a nice little 12-page kind of cozy little story. Uh, it was it was just fun from beginning to end, uh, every part of that. I couldn't have had a better time, and then I got paid for it, which was even weirder. <laughs> I love the I, – I, and I, I don't mean this in a bad way, but I love the end of comics that you're on right now. <laughs> Where that, you know, because people like, you know, you you work for a long time basically for free. And then some things start to pay, and they, but then at the same time it's it's fun and and it's it's just like a, a neat and you've still got all of your enthusiasm for it. Yeah, uh, which, I, which I'm I, not, which makes me want to be a fan even more. <laughs> I'm not jaded yet. It'll probably happen like tomorrow or something. But it uh, no, I'm I am happy to report that I am having a blast and not taking any of this for granted. Very cool. So what? What does the uh, the immediate future holds the activity? But is there anything else on the horizon that's going to be going on? Yeah, it's definitely uh, mainly the activity from here on out. But uh, I've got I've been doing uh, some covers for Boom. Uh, I did a cover for Gabe Hardman's Betrayal of the Planet of the Apes number one, and then I've got two or three other covers I'm doing for uh, just the regular Planet of the Apes series, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, I know Scott and Scott Dillon and I, who did Johnny Recon to break into this whole mess, we have got picked up by a publisher on that, and I don't think I can announce who it is, but it's someone cool and big, and we're going to be doing a big graphic novel of that that Scott, I believe, just turned in the final script for. That'll be a ways out, because I'll have to fit it in between a bunch of other stuff, but... uh, So yeah, we're looking at a year or two for that, but we're excited about that, because I mean that's what got us here mm-hmm. are you going to be going back in and george lucasing it yeah <laughs> yeah we're going to go in and cgi everything and put in a couple extra moons well let me ask you this since you've <laughs> been uh 
you know, uh, you've sort of had a, a lot happen recently. I'm curious from the, the days that, that you were working on Johnny Recon and, and sort of your first sort of sequential stuff to, to now, like what's something really sort of important that, you, that you've learned about just how to, you know, pencil pages or how to put things together that you didn't know back then that you wish you did? I think like looking back on Johnny Recon number one, it's it's two things. One is just a matter of knowing when you're ready. And I don't feel I was ready when I did Johnny Recon number one, but I think the feedback we got from it led us to Johnny Recon number two, which I think is where I started to show other publishers that, hey, you know, this guy's actually ready to work on stuff. But uh, it's it's mostly, I guess, what I learned a lot. Uh, I talked about me being kind of not famous, but uh, for my lens flares, is Johnny Recon number one is almost every page might as well have just been a white page because <laughs> there is lens flares for no reason whatsoever in that issue. And so I learned a lot about restraint and uh, just uh, storytelling has to be paramount. Uh, it's you always want to draw the cool shot, et cetera, but sometimes you just need to draw that that panel of them standing there. Mm-hmm. And it's it's all about saving those big moments. Have you found that uh I guess the the relationships that you formed, you know, both through Twitter and also just like the community of artists and things like that, have have people been helpful and, and have you like found ways to get critiques and, and sort of grow and change with others? I have not met a bad uh fellow creator yet i've been with you know i go to three four shows a year and I'm, I'm lucky because i hear the horror stories if you meet that that one guy who yeah but uh no everyone's been amazing especially the comic tort guys like we send uh not so much lately <laughs> you can tell but, I'm telling uh, <laughs> you, it used to be. I it used to be the weekly sketchup would be easy, and yeah. now everybody that I use is working. Yeah. Well, you got those guys who are killing it over on uh, Ashcan All Stars. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm I'm doing that too. But yeah, yeah. my original class, as I as I <laughs> refer to it. But yeah, uh, comic tour. I mean, we would send. If I was not at my computer for a day, if I took a day off and went somewhere or whatever, I would come back to thirty, forty emails from those oh, guys. Wow. Just like, hey, you know, like I'm doing this. Do you guys have any thoughts? Or, hey, I just want to show you this. Or just making fun of Chris Somney's mom. Like, whatever. Just tons of emails. I, I think it really says something to the strength of, well, A, you have to have talent. But B, you know, having friends, having confederates, uh, you know, a sort of community, especially in an industry like this, is, is huge. And that's, that's how I've seen, you know, a lot of people have gotten by. Oh, absolutely. Uh, recently, yes. so. It's there's that old adage of the way to be successful in comics is to one of to be two of three things uh, really fast, really nice, or really good, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it it holds true. I mean, if you're just if you're cool to everyone, everyone's cool to you, and people remember that, and editors remember that, and people want to work with people that they enjoy outside of work too. So mm-hmm. yeah. Awesome. Uh, well, thanks so much for talking to me, man. It was fun, and uh, your your enthusiasm. Listen, I've met Stan Lee. <laughs> you're 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 getting up there you're in your enthusiasm level. Excelsior! <laughs> it'll never you'll never match him. 
Yeah. It's no. it, it, maybe I can't when, even attempt when you're 89, but <laughs> but until then, it's not it's not a bad way to be. So thanks very much, man. Thanks for having me. So there is your big show. We want to thank all of our guests, J.H. Williams III, W. Hayden Blackman, and, of course, Mitch Garrods. Go check out their books like Batwoman and The Activity coming up. Uh, and get over to ifanboy.com to talk about this show and to rate and pull all your books and see all the other stuff that we've got going on all the time and our regular podcast that comes out on Sundays where we talk about the pick of the week and the books of the week. And thank you very much for listening. Uh, I'll talk to you later. Bye. Don't make me a target. No, don't make me a target.